Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Our theme has been engage. And the theme verse, if you go to Ephesians 4, the Bible says uh, in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that henceforth, uh, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. And so this is our theme verse, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. So now here we are in the book of Ephesians. The Bible is telling us very clearly that we all have a part, that God's plan for the local church is for all of us to have our part, to do our part. Amen? It's not for, you know, the old Pareto principle, 20% of the people do 80% of the work and uh, 20% of the people cause 80% of the problems and uh, all, all of those kinds of things. That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about all of us doing our part in the body. Amen? And so the Bible says when we do that, then we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Those who are in the church, those who are here today, and you are not doing that, and you are not walking the way that God wants you to walk in serving the Lord through the church, you are walking the way that the Gentiles do, the Bible says here, having your understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. The Bible says that you're walking in verse 17, as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. What is that? Emptiness, not thinking about anything. What are you thinking about? Uh, nothing. <laughs> that, that's an empty faith. That's a no-nothing faith. And honestly, so there's so much in Christianity that's like that. You know, you go into a Christian bookstore and you get a book that's going to... You go to the Christian living section and you pull something down and it's just anecdotes, stories, encouragement to help you make it through your horrible life as if you live in Iraq. When we are supposed to be engaged in ministry for the Lord's glory. You're created for a purpose. God has something for you to do, for me to do. He's created us for it. He's equipped us for it. He's empowered us for it. He's given us the church. And then He's told us to go and do the work. Amen? But man, life gets hard. Life gets busy. Things happen. There's sickness that goes on. There's stress that goes on. You might have a new job or trouble at your current job or whatever it is. There are things that come in and they bring us, they pull us out. They, they try to pull us out of the work. Look at our graphic. Imagine if those cogs pull apart. It's not going to move anymore. The machine's not going to work. God's plan is for all of us to do our part. I want us to understand a little bit more about that today. I'll give you my title in a minute. 
But go to Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Twice in this chapter, chapter 3, Paul says this, for this cause, for this cause. Here in the the first one here in chapter 3 and verse 1, for what cause? Well, the fact that God, from the foundation of the world, ordained that anyone who receives Christ will be accepted in the Beloved. Amen? That God ordained from the foundation of the world, He predestinated that anyone who receives Him by hearing the gospel of truth, that they'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of the redemption of the purchased possession. One day Jesus Christ is coming back to get you. If you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you are the purchased possession. That's awesome. One day He's coming back for you. You could be today. It could be today. I've said it before. Before I got married, I, I, I would, yeah, Lord could come today, but man, I'd rather get married first. Now that I'm married, I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Isn't that right? <laughs> that is a good joke right there. My wife is saying amen. There's church discipline after the service now for this. Um, so God ordained that, all right? And so God tells us how to be saved. And then look at the prayer that Paul makes for uh, the people in Ephesus if you look at chapter 1, verse uh, 16, and I cease not to make mention, or I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us word who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. All right, so the first cause is this. God ordained that you, if you're saved, that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that you're accepted in the beloved, that you are in Christ, and that you have your understanding open. In Sunday school, we talked about how many people are walking around in dullness, dullness. They can't listen to ideas. Think about the Lincoln-Douglas debates where people would stand there and listen to those two politicians talk to each other for eight hours at a time. And if the preacher goes longer than 40 minutes, Casadorus won't have any food left. It's it's hard for people to understand. I went to a meeting, this is, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, and this, this guy from a Bible college was telling us preachers, we need to change the way that we preach. We need to cut, never speak for more than about 10 minutes at a time without then bringing in some kind of drama or some kind of video because people are used to having a change of subject every 10 minutes. I looked at the guy next to me and I said, can you keep people's attention for more than 10 minutes? He said, I do it every week. And yet you have these preachers. What can you communicate in 10 minutes? You can't get through the line at Walmart in 10 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Tim. That's just, you're working on it, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, 
It's just so amazing the way that people think and what they do. You'll have talk shows on the radio for three hours, but people at church, they think that you've got to be done in 10 minutes. What does God want? The eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. He wants you to have great knowledge, great understanding. He wants your mind to be active and alive. He wants us to be Christians who go out into the community who are filled with the power and the knowledge of God. Yes! I'm saved. What do you think about Christianity? I don't know. That's not from God. Amen? That's the first cause. Look at the second cause, chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you're saved. You're made alive. Not only are you saved... And made alive, you used to be alienated from God. Look at verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who you were. An alien from the covenants of promise. God gave all that to Israel. And look, before Calvary, before that happened, the only way that you could come to God was by becoming a Jew. That means you had to give up your family identity. You had to give up your national identity. If you were a man, there might have been surgery involved. Yeah, some of you guys don't want to tithe. We could bring this back. Yeah. That's funny. You could write a book about that. Honey, I shrunk the church. Everybody would be gone, man. You started doing that. It'd be... But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, Jew and Gentile, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit into the Father. Now therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together. Do you see this graphic again? Groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So what does that mean? Jesus Christ is living in you. Is that right? There's like three people who agree with that. If you're saved, Jesus Christ is living in you. Is that right? You're a habitation of God for this cause. Chapter 3, verse 1. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Now, that's not hyperbole. He was in prison writing this letter. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, dispensation, that, that word that means economy or stewardship. It's, it's a new system that Jesus Christ introduced where salvation is simply by grace through faith. What a wonderful concept. 
says, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, or in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What, what is a mystery? A mystery is something that is hidden. That's, it's not Nancy Drew. It's not something that could have been sought out. It is something that was hidden, that was truth, that was hidden in the Old Testament. And what is that? It's the church. There's, there's no mention of the church. We looked at uh, Daniel's 70 weeks in our Sunday school hour, and we looked at the 69 weeks which lead up to the crucifixion of Christ. And the 70th week will be the tribulation period where God deals with Israel. And that the church is in between the 69th and the 70th week, but it's not mentioned. It's not, it's not mentioned. Why? Because it was a mystery that was hidden until Paul and the apostles taught it through the Scriptures. It was hidden. It was a mystery. And here's the significance of that mystery. Verse 5, "...which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." And what is that mystery? "...that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel." So here's the mystery. Do we have any Gentiles here today? Anybody here that's, you're not Jewish? All right, here's the mystery. You don't have to become Jewish. You have to believe in Jesus Christ and you become part of one body. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. All right, look at verse 7. Whereunto I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. So God powerfully and effectively worked in the Apostle Paul to make him a preacher. Isn't it amazing that... The man who was one of the greatest Hebrew scholars on the planet, God chose to make a preacher to the Gentiles. But you don't understand. I've trained in engineering. I'm not a preacher. The Apostle Paul trained in Hebrew, not Gentile. God doesn't care about any of that. God will take whatever you have and He'll use it for His glory. And when He takes you out of your comfort zone and does something great, who gets the glory? He does. It got real quiet because none of us want to be taken out of our comfort zone. That would be like putting me in the nursery or have me go teach the five-year-olds. You know, it's, I'd rather be beaten with rods, cast into the sea five times or whatever it was Paul went through. Now, look at what it says in verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. Now, again, that's not hyperbole. The Apostle Paul felt that way about himself. Can you imagine the guilt he carried around for the Christians he had killed? Wow. Look at who God uses. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? How much money does Bill Gates have? I don't know, $40 billion or something? How much does Jesus have? It's unsearchable. Can't be counted. That's awesome. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, don't you love seeing that, that Jesus is the creator? To the intent. Now, look at verse. Everybody look up here at me for just a minute. I love finding weird stuff in the Bible. That's fun. That makes it interesting to me. Now, how many of you are you're in the church? You're in the church. All right? You are a teacher. 
you are showing something, and look who you're showing it to. Look at verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. See, there are things that the angels do not know that you and I know. The manifold wisdom of God. The plain and clear wisdom of God as revealed in the New Testament church. The angels aren't a part of the church. You and I are. Isn't that awesome? That is, it's, so we are teaching. Now, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus Christ brought an angel and said to Paul Kindig, I want angels, I want you to understand what goes on in the church by Paul Kindig's life, by Kelly Curlis's life. What are you teaching? It's heavy, isn't it? You know the Bible says that we're going to judge angels? What if God puts you to judge those angels and those angels say, well, I watched you and I didn't learn anything? How about that? Is that heavy? Amazing. Amazing stuff here. Now, look at verse 11. According to His eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the purpose that's being spoken of there? Still that context of the church. Now look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Access. We have access. Access to who? The throne of God. We can go to the throne of God. We have access. Uh, there, how many of you sometimes would like to have access to the boss? And you, how many people do you think get in to see the CEO of GM? How many people do you think get into the White House to see the president? Muslim Brotherhood? You know, anyway. Access. Imagine what you have to go through to get access to that. Well, we have access to something far greater than the White House. We have access to the throne room of God. And that brings us to our message this morning. This morning I want us to look at engage in prayer for someone else. Engage in prayer for someone else. Have you ever said this to someone I'll pray for you. How many of you have said that? I'll pray for you. Um, my problem is often when I go to pray for somebody, I don't really know what to pray for them. You know, because if I say, you know, I want so-and-so to find this job, what if God doesn't want them to have that job? I'm not praying the right thing. Do you know the best way to pray for somebody? To pray Scripture. So here the Apostle Paul is going, and we looked at one of his prayers already in Ephesians chapter 1, which is fantastic. But now we're going to look at the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look at some things that Paul prays for, for the church at Ephesus, for the people there in that church. And let's start to get some understanding of how we can pray. Look at verse 12, or verse 13. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, see all that? Again, for this cause, that's his second one. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how often you bow your knees. How often do you pray? Now, there's no particular posture of prayer in the Scriptures. Um, sometimes people stood and prayed. There, if you're not physically capable of kneeling, how many of you think God knows that? Why isn't she kneeling? Why I ought to... 
Oh, your knee doesn't work. I didn't know that. See, it's not a physical position. It's a position of your heart. But, but, when you're on your face before God, that's telling your body and your mind something, isn't it? Right? Um, Worship. I heard Charles Keene say one time, he was speaking here, and he said, worship is the involuntary response to greatness. And worship always involves bowing. All right? So here, the Apostle Paul bows He says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then look at what he says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So the first thing that you need to understand is that we're a family. We are a family. Now, just like the word father, you know, that's the word that the Bible uses for God. Isn't that right? Often it's the the name father. Well, fatherhood has been so corrupted that for some people, if you say God is your father, they'll say, then I don't want him because their father was so awful. And it's the same thing with the family. Some people have such horrible family experiences that when God calls us a family, people think, well, I don't want to be a part of that. You parents, can you imagine being the kind of parents that your married children can't wait to get away from? Wouldn't, how many of you think that would be awful? Wouldn't that be awful? Or that you're the kind of parents that your young people want to move out of the house and get away from because they can't stand you. We don't want to be that kind of family, do we? We don't want to be that kind of family. We're going to be doing some some teaching on the home this year um, because, honestly, Christian homes aren't really that much different than non-Christian homes. Uh, Pastor Sexton, where I went to college, used to say there's a big difference between a Christian home and a home full of Christians. Isn't that right? But the Bible here says the context is that we are the family of God. Now, I want to make this very clear. How many of you ever have ever heard this term, the universal fatherhood of God? That does not exist. Some people are of their father, the devil. God is your father if you're saved. If you're not saved, he's not your father. Satan's your father. We talk about this fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God. Well, the Bible says that we go to, to our father, of whom the whole family is named uh, Jacob, I know what he's thinking. When I tell him to go, when he's going somewhere, I'll say, remember your name. Remember your name. See, we're named after the Father, right? That affects how we raise our families. That affects how we live out in the world. But the other thing, when we start to pray for others, when you look at someone else in the church and you say, I'm going to pray for you, it's not as if you're praying for a stranger. It's someone who is a family member to you. How many of you have ever had a family member die? You've had a family member die. I mean, it's like a part of you being ripped out. Do you understand that's the way your church family is supposed to be? Not like you have something being ripped out of you, but that you have that connection, that kind of love one for another, that kind of family seal and care and love and interaction. That's who we're supposed to be. How are we doing? 
So we're a family. That's the foundation for our prayer is that we're a family. Look at verse 16 now. And look at what he prays. I, I bow my knees, verse 14. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, now look at that right there. This is so cool. He's going to grant you according to the riches of his glory. It doesn't say he's going to grant you out of the riches of his glory. So let's say I'm a billionaire, right? I'm a billionaire. So I've got all this cash and I am going to give Jacob out of my riches. Well, that could be a penny when I give according to my riches, that means the gift is commensurate to my ability to give it. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's, it's like a tip. Imagine, think of a tip, and it's a, you have a person who barely has enough money for the meal, and they give you a little bit that they have extra, or the really wealthy person. Now, how many of you have heard of wealthy people leaving lousy tips? Tiger Woods is supposed to be a lousy tipper. Did you know they changed his name? It's not Tiger anymore. It's Cheetah. Did you all hear that? (laughs) So we understand the difference between someone giving out of their wealth or according to their wealth. And look at what God, look at what the prayer is. How are you going to pray for your friend? How are you going to pray for your brother or sister in Christ? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, I want you to notice something. The power for this, we have the Trinity here. You have the Father mentioned in verse 14. You have the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 16. And you have Christ the Son mentioned in verse 17. The Trinity is involved in this, the Godhead, the Godhead. And so the verse in verse 16, how we are going to pray is that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with the might of Christ in the inner man. I want you to think about the inner man. What is that? That's not the face that you put out. That's what's going on inside you that no one else knows about. You know, if you looked around right now, you would just see people listening to the preaching. But you have no idea what's going on in that person's inner man. There might be someone here right now that is scared to death. Scared to death. That there's so much apprehension, there's so much anxiety about what's coming next. Their stomach's just in a knot, just fear. So how do you pray for them? That the Lord will strengthen them in the inner man. That they'll understand that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Whenever I think of that verse, we had a lady in our church in Oklahoma who was... not right. And one night we're having a testimony time and she stood up, she put her hand on the pew in front of her and she said, I thank God for a sound mind. We're all sitting there saying, man, I'm glad you could be thankful for that. (laughs) But you know what? That person who's sitting here with you, who's full of fear, God 
out of the riches of His glory can strengthen them, can remove that fear. That's how you pray for the person, to strengthen them in the inner man. Do you know the greatest problem that we as believers have? It's, it's lack of inner strength, the commitment to do what we know we are supposed to do. Isn't that what Paul, we looked at it last Sunday night, where the Apostle Paul said, that which I would do, that I do not, that which I would not, that I do, that which I love, I do not, that which I hate, that I do. And he's got this fight that's going on him. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I thank God through Christ that He's given us the victory, that the new man is renewed day by day. That This is how you can pray for your brother in Christ, that the inner man will be strengthened so that the outer man can be effective. So, first prayer is for strength with the might of, by His Spirit in the inner man. Then look at verse 17. How else can you pray for them? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, wait a minute. So, if I'm going to pray for Brother Tim, and I'm going to pray that Christ dwells in his heart, well, he's already saved. You are, aren't you? Yes. Okay, good. So, I'm going to pray that Christ dwells in, in Tim's heart. What is that talking about? It's very simple. How many of you believe that when you're saved, Christ comes to dwell in you? All right, but is he, is he allowed in all the rooms? Do you have any part of your life that's cut off from Christ? Christ, I love you, but I don't want to give up this, this, this anger. Christ, I love you, but I've got this room right here that I've kept with anger for my ex-husband. And you're, I, I'm saved, and you can have the whole house, but I'm going to keep this one. And so how do you pray for people? That Christ can have all of them. That Christ can have access to their entire inner man. You don't understand what my mother did to me. I'm going to keep that in this room over here. How many of you think that's a good way to be effective for Christ? No. So what do we need to do? You have no idea what has happened in a person's past. You have no idea what goes on behind the closed doors of other people in this room. You have no idea, but you're commanded to pray for them. And look at how we're supposed to pray. We pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Then look, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love. How can you pray? How can you pray for me? Lord, help the pastor be rooted and grounded in love. How many of you think that would be a good thing to pray about me? Yeah. I need that. I need that. My stability, my, my foundation, my standard needs to be the love of Christ. That's where, that's where we stand. That's awesome, isn't it? Look, so how do you pray for people? You first begin by understanding your family. You, you recognize the riches of God, and then you pray for them to be strengthened in the inner man, that Christ has their whole heart, that they're rooted and grounded in love. And then look at this, comprehension, verse 18. They could have some comprehension. That they may be able to comprehend with all saints. Now, do you see this? With all saints. What does it mean to comprehend? It means to grasp with the mind. You know, we would, somebody's talking, you'd say, oh, I get it. I'm with you. I'm following. I get it. I've got that. I remember when I took algebra the first time. 
Our teacher had just gotten out of the Marine Corps. Hard. And, uh, man, I didn't get it. I just, uh, I bombed, I failed. Well, the next year, it's like he was a different person. And he explained it to me in a way, and I remember, I got it. Now, I've lost it since then, but for a little while, I got it. I understood. Dave McCracken would talk about giving the gospel to somebody. And he'd say, you can see their light come on. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? They, they get it. They get it. When I'm preaching, sometimes I can see that, you, that you're getting it. You're, you're, yeah, that's right. That's what I need. I'm learning that from the scriptures. You're getting it. What, what, what we need to understand here is that we as believers, we don't need to pray. I don't need to pray for Doug that Doug has some special knowledge that no one else has. See, if God shows you something that He's never shown anyone else, that's not from God. Right? So one of the blessings that we have with the brothers and sisters in Christ is that we're not alone, that what God wants us to do is He wants us to grow and learn together. Uh, Wednesday night when I was uh, teaching the Bible study, we're going through the book of John, and we're doing an overview at the beginning and um, I was talking about uh, just the, what, what God knows and the, the, how all the volumes of the book, the, if, if all the things that Jesus Christ were done, then I suppose that all the books of the world couldn't contain it. We looked at that passage. And while I was teaching it, I thought of, I hadn't prepared it ahead of time. It just, the Lord brought it to my mind the passage in Psalm 139 where everything about me was written in God's book. And so we talked about DNA and everything that's there and how that all the books of the world not containing it, that's not hyperbole, that's the truth. It's, it's the reality. So I left that room having learned something from the Scriptures with you. See, that's the way that God works, that we learn things and we grow together. How many of you in a church service or in a Bible study of some kind, whether it's in, in, a, in church or here a Bible study or a Bible study at home, or that, that you have left with a deeper understanding because there were other believers there to participate in it, right? That's, that's our prayer. I need to pray for Patrick that as Patrick teaches his class that's coming up, that he grows and you all grow together to comprehend the truth of the Word of God. Right? There's something that happens when we're together that can't happen alone. I know people who don't believe in churches and they think that we're not, that the church age ended and. Uh, they don't believe in baptism and, and all of those kinds of things. They don't believe in church membership. And you talk to them, and first of all, they're always the most contentious people you ever meet. And then the stuff that they bring out from the Scriptures is so unbelievably convoluted. Why? Why? Because there's no peer review. There's not a brother in Christ next to him when he's teaching it. And he says, hey, I have this idea. And he says, no, that's not right. You better look at this. That's what the church is supposed to do. Amen? And so look at what, how you pray. You pray, verse 18, that my brother or sister in Christ may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height of what? It doesn't say. 
Let's, let's, we'll read this, this whole passage. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What is this talking about? Well, he's already given it to us in the book of Ephesians. So now, what do we need to comprehend? Well, first of all, the breadth. The breadth. What is the extent of my salvation? How far does it go? I love it that the forgiveness is as far as the east is from the west. That's the breadth of His forgiveness. But what has the Holy Spirit taught us in the book of Ephesians? Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Remember we read this already, that at that time you were without Christ. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus ye who are sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. What is this talking about? What is the breadth? That it's for everybody. That it's for everyone. How could we say it in our culture? We're not only going to pray for people from Sydney, that this, but we're going to pray for believers everywhere. We're not only going to pray for the white believers or the black believers or the Asian believers. We're going to pray for the entire body of Christ. That all the saints of God includes every person that has named the name of Christ as their Savior anywhere in the world. That's the breadth that we need to know. That's the family that we are in. Is that awesome? See, what is the point of this? Folks, you are not alone. There are people in this room right now that are very lonely. Do you know what they need? They need a family. They need to understand the love of God's people. That's how we can pray for them. So the the breadth. Then look at what it says. Verse 18 again, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length. And length. What, What length? Well, what are we going to pray for? What we need to understand is that we pray with an eternal perspective. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus, the ages to come. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When you pray for something, you're praying for for someone. You're praying for something eternal in them. Do you realize how much more important that is than a meal for today? Now, let me say this. If you're about to starve to death, that meal is very important. But something far more important than your temporal need is your eternal destiny. We have these young people here who are making decisions about college and what they're going to do with their lives. We need to pray that that young person can take a long view. A long view. And so whether they become an engineer like many of you or a teacher or whatever it is, they go into a trade. We need plumbers, man. We need plumbers. Is that right? Things like that. Whatever it is that they understand that whatever it is, that whatever decision they make, they're going to do it for the glory of the eternal God. 
then. Look at uh, the, the depth. The depth. So God wants us to comprehend the breadth. That's all of it. The length goes forever. And the depth. What has God told us about depth in Ephesians? Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you realize the pit that you were in? What does the Bible say? He took me out of the pit and set me on the rock. What is the depth? We need to understand the depth of, of sin and the depth of punishment that Jesus Christ has saved us from. Verse 2, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Look at what it says in verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How about the depth? But do you know what we have here in these first six verses of chapter 2? We have a contrast between the depth and the height. Remember, we looked at the breadth. We looked at the length. We looked at the depth, but look at the height. Verse 6, and, has, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According to the book of Colossians, you and I right now are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's the height. That's the height. Do you know what else He has done for us? Look at chapter 2. Look at verse... Uh, or chapter 3, verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. Not only are we seated with Christ in heavenly places, we are in heavenly places with Christ. That's a height. But how about this? We are fellow heirs with Christ. So I am raised from being a pauper who has nothing deserving hell. I'm raised to be in Christ and seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then I'm made a fellow heir of the unsearchable riches of Christ. How many of you think that if you pray this for someone, that they're strengthened in the inner man, that uh, Christ dwells in their hearts and they, Christ has access to every room of their heart, that they're rooted and grounded in love and that they're able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And then we are supposed to pray the impossible for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to pray the impossible. Look at the next verse. Verse 19, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Can I tell you something? There are people in this room right now, and there are brothers and sisters in Christ that you all know who are not in this room right now, who more than anything else in the world right now need a knowledge of the love of Christ. Their hearts are broken. 
They're full of fear. They're full of anxiety. They're full of, of pain. They're full of anger. They're full of resentment. And the thing that this person needs to know more than anything else is about the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. Do you know the people who lack the love of Christ sometimes more than lost people are believers who have fallen. And they're so consumed with the guilt of their own sin that they don't even think that they can pray. Do you know what they need to hear? Jesus loves them just as much today as He did the day they were saved. That there's nothing they can do to make Him love them more and there's nothing they can do to make Him love them less. They need to understand, the, they need to have the knowledge of the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. So what are we praying for them? That God will reveal His love to them in a way that they can't even understand. It's a specific way that you can pray for someone. Then look at what it says. The middle of verse 19, And that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you filled with God? The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you full of God or are you full of the world? Are you engaged with the world or are you entangled with the world? Are you full of the world or are you full of God? Are you full of anger or are you full of God? Are you full of resentment or are you full of God? Are you full of hate or are you full of God? You can't have both, folks. I can't have both. I need your prayers that I can be filled with the fullness of God. How are you going to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you going to engage in prayer, an active, real prayer? Lord, bless all the missionaries. Lord, bless the people in the church. Lord, it's different, isn't it? It's different. We're being taught specifically how to pray. Now, what is the power that's behind our prayer? Look at the way that this sentence is built. I heard someone say that the sentence is bending under the weight of the words. And, and you'll see that. Look at what happens. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. All right. So now look at what it says. Now unto him that is able... All right, able, that's potentiality. All right, but, but God is so much more than that. Christ is so much more than that. Uh, it, it, look at what it says. Now to him that is able to do, to do all that we ask or think. Is it, whatever request you have, God can do it. Do you believe that? We've said often, most of us never ask God for anything that Bill Gates couldn't give us. You have to understand that God is able to do so much more than Bill Gates is. He can do any can. He can do anything that you ask him to do that's according to his will. He can do anything. But look at what else he can do. He's able to do anything, even above all that we ask or think. Not only that, abundantly above all that we ask or think. But that's not enough. Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is that the way that you're praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Lord, 
Do more for them than they could have ever imagined. Lord, give them more wisdom than I would even have any idea how to ask. Lord, give them more strength in the inner man than I can ever even comprehend. Help them to do great things for You. Things that are so far above are are sedentary and mundane and mediocre understanding. Lord, make it go farther farther and farther and exceeding abundantly above anything that I can think. That's the way that we should pray for each other. That's the way that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And are you ready for this? When Jesus Christ comes and preaches to the churches in Revelation, the church at Ephesus was the fully purposed church. The church at Ephesus was the church that did exactly what God had wanted them to do. Out of the church at Ephesus, the other church, six churches came. They were the church that Jesus Christ was able to say, you've done what you're supposed to do. What happened? God answered their prayers. The gospel went around the world because of the church at Ephesus. And that's how verse 21 comes in. Unto Him, that's God the Father, be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. How many of you want... Jesus Christ to receive glory by Grace Baptist Church. I think we've just seen how that can happen. Let's engage in prayer for someone else. Lord Jesus Christ.